Welcome to Meowcore, the podcast where I, Laura, tell my cool friend Panya about the uh, music that I like, which is mostly rock and metal. And uh, in return, she tells me Ow! about the many cats that she has and uh, the books that she's been reading. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? I'm okay. We didn't have water half of the day, so I had an excuse to be lazy. But here I am now, doing things. I was unaware that anyone needed an excuse. I thought laziness just happened. I need to think about that. That may be useful. <laughs> that may be useful. This could be an excuse for not needing an excuse. Anyway, um, last time... <laughs> Last time we talked about... What are we going to listen to today? <laughs> we talked about Black Sabbath on the first episode. If someone's missed it, you go see, go listen. And today we're going to talk about Led Zeppelin. Mm. I'm thinking about doing Sabbath Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Uriah Heap. And then we can move on to newer things, because these are really the basics for what I listen to, at least. Mm. And Sounds I, good, let's go. We'll do it. And I almost didn't do a Zeppelin episode because I was recently faced with an interview by um, a girl that Jimmy Page slept with when she was 13 and 14. So I was pretty disgusted. And then I thought, I'm not going to let that steal my nice memories and my teenage joy of discovering Led Zeppelin and uh, showing it to my friend. So, okay. what do we listen to first? Let's see. I'm going to skip the first album, which I think came out in uh, 68. And we'll go to Led Zeppelin 2 from 1969. They were working very hard. And let's listen to a song called Thank You. Let's listen to Thank You. That's metal? No. I would say this is uh, blues on steroids. You don't even hear the steroids in this song, but uh, there. yeah, that's it was good, but that's not what I think of at all as metal. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And it's also very different from the standard. Um, it's even different from what I think of as standard rock, even from the time. There's no verse, chorus, verse bridge setup. There there's hardly any setup at all. It's it's almost like um what is the word I want? It's like a free verse poem that somebody put to some music and it's very good music. Mm -hmm. Although they also couldn't seem to decide when they wanted to actually stop the song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were very spontaneous and they loved the the live feel and they recorded things very quickly. Sometimes they, so they would just sort of sit down and record whatever came out. Yeah, quite often. And um, sometimes they would leave, uh, start uh, an intro or the ending unedited. So it would feel more genuine, live, that kind of stuff. Hmm. You're right, though. That had a very, that had a very blues... Um, it also had a very Bob Dylan kind of feel. Yeah, maybe more Bob Dylan. Not not at all in the in the in the um in the the vocals. Like in terms of the the pure musicality, I think it was um 
I'm going to get smacked for this by some people, but I think it was better than Dylan. The, Dylan's no, power was in his lyrics. It was not really in his musicality. Yeah, I'm not smacking you for sure. But some people will. But that's <laughs> They can have their opinion. Mm-hmm. Anyway. My favorite... So, when does it become metal? Uh, you'll hear in the next song, I think, the basis of some of the harder-hitting things. And... Um, Okay. In the third album, they'll get, they'll be a bit acoustic, but in the fourth album, you'll hear that things get heavier. Mm, my favorite bit was happiness, no more, be sad. Happiness, yeah, I'm that's glad. A good line. <laughs> he just, he was just feeling line. free. And I don't want, I don't know. What does it mean, heavy? Heavy? Like, in. You say things get heavier. What does that mean? Well, it means. Oh god! In in the world of metal, I mean things that sound heavily distorted electric guitars. That's what I mean usually, and okay. the loudness. Okay, so it's not about pitch. Mm, the pitch may be lower because we like our guitars uh, tuned pretty low. Tuned a little lower, but not quite the same as just. Speaking very low, like, ow, that hurts. <laughs> I can't even get my voice that far down. Easy. Yeah. But, like, and not just about the the literal pitch of the note, but also the tuning of the guitar and the distortion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the aggression. And okay. Sometimes speed, not always speed. You saw in Black Sabbath they, that they were not about speed that much. Right. Mm, what right. else did I want to tell you from the start? We have um, a blonde Adonis, they would call him Adonis, on vocals called Robert Plant. Um, you've probably seen him. Um, he's been recording and touring with Alison Krauss and by himself in the past years. Mm, he had these tight uh, bell bottoms, or very tight on the crotch, and he was wearing these little the girls' blouses. They were always unbuttoned. It was really cute. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so so we have, in contrast to Ozzy and his group of somewhat rough-edged uh, Birmingham boys, we have this the beginning of this quintessential heavy metal sex god. Yes. Here in Robert Plant is what you're saying. Yeah. And you'll probably hear the sex in the music as well. I remember as a teenager, discovering them and wondering whether they realize that the music sounds like sex. And I'm sure they did, but I was amazed that someone would make something so sexual, just in terms of playing drums and guitar. Given that this clearly came after Elvis, who... the hips and everything, Mm -hmm. and the Beatles had become... They never, the Beatles never carried the kind of sexuality that we think of as endemic to music these days, and certainly endemic to rock. But there was definitely some there, and of course there were many, 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 many people who absolutely fell hard for one or more of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that sexuality in music was anything new. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I was 16, 
and just discovering that might have had stuff. something to do with it yeah that might have had a little bit to do with it yeah more than 20 years ago okay so that's Rob- oh let's don't date ourselves that's painful <laughs> okay that's robert plant big blonde girl big, big blonde curls uh i want you to see a visual um i think i've sent it to you before but look at it now google robert plant with a dove tell me what okay. you think oh my that's a very memorable one. What is that shirt he's wearing? I don't know where he got those shirts. <laughs> that is... That is... Wow. Maybe a niece's that's, closet. I don't know. Wow. That's crazy. But if he keeps his shoulders that's back, they, they fit. They just He just can't button them he just can't ever close them across his chest which i guess in the um, the late 60s and 70s is absolutely irrelevant yeah <laughs> and this burb just landed on him yeah this op- right. open air thing um all right and uh the robert plan had a after zeppelin broke up he had a pretty pretty good uh, solo career in the 80s and 90s I'll play you a song or two from that too, because it's important. Okay. And uh, then we have Jim, right. Jimmy Page on guitars, um, and I've always wanted to have dragon dragon flared pants like him. He had these nice suits, and he had these black pants with a, a kind of a Chinese dragon drawn on them. Very cool. And then. We have uh, John Paul Jones on bass and uh, keyboards and a wonderful bear of a man called uh, John Bonham on drums and he's an amazing drummer. You'll find out. Okay. Now, let's go to the album Led Zeppelin 3 and listen to Immigrant Song. You've probably heard oh, it. Oh, I know this one. Yeah, you tell me what you think. this one is very popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this the one that they used in one of the Thor movies? Yeah, in Ragnarok. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. And we all kind of went, yeah, this is the song. All right, let's listen to Immigrant Song. Well, that's quite short. Yeah, they came, they conquered, they're done. They came, they conquered, they are our overlords. Mm-hmm. They said so. Mm-hmm. I guess. That's much more like metal with the, the pounding drums and the intense guitars. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what I mean by intense, except that there's definitely a different feel. Mm-hmm. It may be the rhythm that I'm feeling, just that, like even the guitars have a rhythm to them that mm-hmm. they didn't have in the previous song. Yeah, very cool. And we may say this is the first um, Viking metal song, because we have Viking metal too. Right, and dwarf metal. Yeah. Diggy diggy hole. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) We might have to do an episode on that too later on. Much later on. Yeah, I'd love that. So, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll get to that later. They came and conquered. So, yeah, but this is also, even though the, there's not that much time difference between these two albums, though, the sound is very different. The sound is different between two different songs within the same album. They experimented a lot. Are those? Are those? Those are not on the same album, though, were they? Uh, thank you, an thank immigrant you song. Thank you was on the previous. Yeah. Thank you was on the previous album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a very different sound. 
mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to immigrant song. But thank you was different yeah. from the other songs on its own album. Everything was very interesting back then with Zeppelin. Mm. They were creating new things, even though their base was their basis was the blues. Um, they were taking old blues songs, rewriting lyrics for them sometimes, arranging them differently. But they did make a lot of new and interesting things themselves. Mm. Let's go to the blues on steroids now. Let's listen to something from the fourth album. Mm, but right. let's watch it on YouTube. Um, it's called okay. it's called Black Dog. Uh, because when they were recording, they were in this this old uh, manor in the UK, and there was a black dog on the on the premises, and uh, they just named the song after him. It has nothing to do with dogs. Mm. Okay. And we'll watch Which the version should we listen to? Madison Square Garden 73. Okay. Let's go. Blues on Let's steroids. Listen to Black Dog live at Madison Square Garden 1973. Good lord, that solo at four minutes in. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna need a second here. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And also, I feel like Robert Plant must have ruined his lower back with the amount of time during that song he spent leaning back with his hips thrust forward. Like, honey, that's not good for you. Mm. What is that? Mm. I hadn't thought about that. Again, I know that song. That song is, is, I don't think I've actually ever heard the whole thing, if you want to know the truth. But I know that song. That's, I'm pretty sure that's one of the songs that, that my dad would use to play. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I remember Stairway to Heaven. I had heard it on the radio, and I thought it was three different songs. We'll play Stairway to Heaven in a minute. Mm-hmm. So there you Do go. Do we have to? You, you don't want to? It's so I can, familiar. I like, can skip everybody it. knows Stairway to Heaven. Okay. I don't need to listen to Stairway to Heaven again. I got I got <laughs> stuff to fill the show with. Okay. Mm. Okay. But, like, the thing, especially the thing watching Black Dog, it feels like, it feels like they were doing the same thing that Jim Morrison was doing, but better. Mm. The kind of songs where it's, it's hardly... It's hard to think about it as an actual song when you're just listening to the singer. And and that with the breaks in between and the but in this case it doesn't sound like they're so stoned off their gourd they can't keep track of what they're doing. They're actually playing a song and it was designed to be this way as yeah. opposed to Jim Morrison who just kind of got up on stage and fucked around and expected his musicians to keep up with him. Yeah, and they kind of... You might have noticed, I don't think much of the Lizard King. Yeah, and they did because they were really good at improvising. But yeah, I understand you, I remember that. Whereas this feels like it's got space for improvising. It's got space to let Jimmy Page just wander off and noodle on the guitar if that's what he wants to do. But it also feels like all four of them, they're communicating. They're in touch with each other, even on the stage, where they're obviously not actually talking to each other. They know where they're going. 
and it's not just wandering off loose at the behest of somebody who just doesn't know what's going on anymore or what planet he's on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And did you notice how odd this riff was? And how it Yeah. It's in it's in two different time signatures. A part of it is in 3/4, which is an odd signature for a folk kind of thing that we have in Bulgaria, and the rest is 4/4. And I'm not good at detecting time signatures, but I did notice it's it's an interesting little riff. Yeah, at some point one of the beats it comes slower than you expect. That's that's a note signature. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing I noticed is, um, and I noticed this actually in Immigrant Song too, as I was saying about Ronnie James Dio, Robert Plant's voice is an instrument. The things that he can do with his voice, the up and down, the changes, you know, the, the, that, that vocal riff at the beginning of the lyrics to Immigrant Song, you know, that's not, that's neither an easy thing to do nor a common thing to do. And the same thing with, with the, the bits of Black Dog where the crowd comes back to him. That's, again, that's not an easy or common thing to do. That one's a bit easier. The notes are easier, at least. But there are places in these songs where he's throwing his voice up and down the scale with... And that's difficult. Those are those are significant... Um, I don't think they're whole octave jumps. Again, I'm not good at detecting this kind of thing. But to go from a, a lower note to a higher note without climbing to it... With your voice, yeah. it's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very painful. Yeah, I get you. They, I don't know what he did to practice. I have never heard, heard him talk about vocal exercise. Uh, but he really was really was mighty. Well, I mean, in many cases, if you're simply rehearsing the same thing over and over or similar things, then it will become easier. Um, when I was in high school, I was in the chorus, and one of the pieces that they had us do, which I think was fairly common for choruses at the time, was Music of the Night from Phantom of the Opera. And there at the end of Music of the Night, if you're singing the choral version, there's a jump like that. And the more we rehearsed, it became easier. It never became easy, but it became easier simply because of rehearsing it. We didn't even do, you know, vocal exercises or anything like that. It was simply the amount of practice. And so, again, if he's doing this in... He's clearly doing this in more than one song. So it would have become easier. And some people just find it easier to do certain things with their voices the same way some people find it easier to do the splits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And... um he also said that he loved Janis Joplin, which you can probably hear, right? They called him the male Janis Joplin. Hmm. Did you hear some of it? Well, maybe not in the songs we listen to. I don't to. know what I'm listening for. A gritty, so. high voice like Janis Joplin's. Do you remember what, what okay. she sounded like? Yeah, I see what you... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what I'm thinking of. Like, I don't... I might have to go find some kind of interview and find out what his natural speaking voice was. Oh, hella sweet. Yeah, there are definitely a number of points where he is, he's singing in what I think of as the top of a male range, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. What else did I want to tell you? 
that's all I think. That was Black Dog. Okay. Mm, let's go to the next album, which is called Houses of the Holy. And uh, oh, they finally stopped naming them after themselves. Yeah, the the previous <laughs> album that had Black Dog and uh, Stay Away to Stay Away to Heaven, they were so huge all over the world that they decided not to put their name or the name of the album on the sleeve of the record. And they fought with the record company about it, but they had a clause that allowed them to have full control over their album sleeves. So people still bought it in in huge amounts in America and in the UK and in Europe. So the fourth, there was nothing except this strange drawing of maybe a druid with a lantern and it had on the back these four signs that they had chosen for themselves, these four symbols. Mm, so, n- next album, Houses of the Holy. Before we play the Zeppelin song, I want you to go to Villevalo's Neon Noir song and listen to the first 30 seconds. Okay. Then I'll tell you the Zeppelin song. The song, not the album. Mm-hmm, the song. But I didn't want to stop listening. <laughs> ah. <laughs> no. Okay, so listen to that, and I have that riff in my head, my favorite riff off that album. Okay, now go to Over the Hills and Far Away by Zeppelin. Do you hear the similarity? The style of the riff? Not the melody, but the style of the riff. I do hear it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go heavy metal quite as fast, mm-hmm. but I can hear it. Yeah, and this is the sort of riffs, slightly folky, very complicated, uh, that no one's done since Jimmy Page. So I was really happy to see that Ville made one and recorded it so well. And it was also very acoustic, just like this one. I wonder if he realized. For someone who was raised on, call it modern pop and rock music from the late 80s onward every single thing that Zeppelin does is completely different from what I was led to expect out of music they're the I mentioned before the verse chorus verse bridge structure is just not there it's just not there and there's a lot of like this one does it Immigrant Song doesn't do it quite so much but Thank You did it and I think Stairway to Heaven does it and Black Dog does it where there's this introductory 15, 20, maybe 30 seconds of a particular kind of style of music. Not always the sort of uh, guitar picking that we heard here, but sometimes. And then it shifts when the lyrics come in to something harder, (laughs) something with a more intense rhythm that just kind of wanders through. And then it's not that you get a solo in the middle so much as when the lyrics run out the guitarist Jimmy Page just takes over and sort of noodles for a minute yep. like literally a whole minute and it's like a little bit in immig- not so much in Immigrant Song but definitely in this one and definitely in Thank You he just kind of wanders musically around this riff structure that was created and it's like, at some point, they're just like, okay, dude, break it off. <laughs> like, they don't know when to stop the song, in a way. It it doesn't fade out. It doesn't have a, a crashing ending the way that Black Dog kind of did. 
Although I don't know how much of that was derived from the need to actually put a stop to the song on stage. Because yeah, it's live. Yeah. But it's it's very interesting because the, the we're sort of taught with modern music, especially from the 2000s onward, that when the lyrics end, the song is over. Mm-hmm. And these songs don't do that at all. Yeah. And we... They don't do that at all. They keep going for a good minute, and there are places where the sound drops so low that if you're driving in a car, you're thinking, why is there a minute of silence on the end of the song? Mm-hmm. And there's not. Mm-hmm. Someone's but doodling. But if you're doing something... And these bands are made of uh, these four or five heroes who are rivaling to, on, to be virtuosos on their instruments, including the instrument of the voice. Right. It's nice. It's nice watching you discover that after almost every song. Well, this is not what I expected. <laughs> you say they're striving to be virtuosos on their instruments, and yet listening to this, not as much with Sabbath, but a little bit. It's not. They're not competing. They're 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 challenging each other to come together. I'm I'm having a hard time saying this, but in in the way that when when you have a group of people and they're all pretty talented at something, you can have a circumstance where they're all trying to be better than each other. And it's it's a dick measuring contest, honestly. You know, I'm better than you. And then you can have a circumstance where whomever happens to be the best at that particular time is kind of calling for the others to catch up with them to be to to get behind the others and push kind of thing so that you all become better together and this one is definitely the second like they're all virtuosos on their instruments and yet you listen to jimmy page noodle around on the guitar and the drummer i lost his name john bonham john bonham is keeping up yeah and in some places he's challenging the guitar keep up with me Mm -hmm. you know they're they're weaving this thing in and around each other yeah rather than individually you know it's not anything you can do i can do better i can do anything better than you it's not that it's the opposite of that maybe the spirit of competition is something that uh i've heard in in uriah heap and deep purple more there they more sound they sound more like they're challenging challenging each other we'll see we'll see when when we get to them Mm. Now you hear even more of this amazingness in a song called The Ocean. It will start with the drummer, John Bonham, uh, saying funny things and counting down to the song. So you'll hear his voice first. And then just this utter craziness begins. It's very nice. It's utter craziness. All right, let's listen to The Ocean Mm -hmm. by Led Zeppelin. I figured it out. It sounds like they were doing a jam session. Like all of these songs, except maybe Immigrant Song, even then. <laughs> it sounds like they were doing a jam session and happened to record it. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like they were just screwing around and happened to record it and went, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And stuck it on a record. <laughs> yeah. And at the end, it became a doo wop. It did. It completely changed. But there was also a point where it shifted to something that I thought of as being more Beatles sounding for a while. 
15 or 20 seconds of of yeah things were things seemed very spontaneous because they seemed to gel so well together yeah and again this song is is familiar i don't know that i've ever listened to it all the way through it certainly not to pay attention to i guess i must have listened to more classic radio than i realized as a child <laughs> that or dad just played zeppelin for me i may ask him about that on wednesday mm-hmm. if That's he just nice. played a lot of zeppelin for me and i don't remember it that way mm-hmm. do you did you hear what his voice did this time he he had moments uh-huh. where he sounded like blinding light. He was like kind of raspy, but really high. It was um, pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, and I, I want to say that at least some of that is the result of pushing one's voice to a point it doesn't want to be in. Yeah, shouldn't do kind it for a long time. For, yeah, kind of straining for notes that maybe you really can't reach easily. Mm-hmm. And he also sounded really strange, like he had some self-irony. He was not the most serious. Yeah, song. there was a there were some points in that song where I was thinking, like you were talking about uh, distorted guitars, and I was thinking they laid some kind of distortion on his voice, hmm. which is much more common nowadays. But I don't know that it was that common then. Maybe some effect. If he got close enough to the microphone, he could probably damage a microphone. Maybe he damaged it a little bit, and that sounded like an effect. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it could be, or it just... It, I mean... I don't know how guitar effects work, but it wouldn't surprise me to find out that some of it was kind of... Um. I don't want to say it was done in post because obviously you can do that kind of thing on stage, but it's it happens after the note is pl- after the note like leaves the instrument. It goes through and before it gets to the speaker, it's modified. And there's no reason you couldn't do that with vocal notes. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that you couldn't sing into a microphone and then once it leave it it hits the cable, you can do some changes to it the same way that you can distort guitars. Yeah. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Oh, yeah. We already know yeah. they can fix the pitch, they can auto-tune, so they can probably put some kind of distortion on a voice, too. And they can do that live. Mm-hmm. Yep. They can, they can do that kind of adjustment live, which means that I don't know where the technology lay in, what was it, 73, 74? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or he, maybe he was just doing distortion. I've heard... The singers talk about vocal distortion. Just yeah. from the way you hold yeah. your folds. I can't do it, but I know there are singers who can. Mm-hmm. It's the same way. I've been trying for like the last week and a half as I sing in the car to try to do the metal scream. And I just, I can't. I just cannot oh. do it. Oh, there's technique for that. I don't know if my brain doesn't work that way or what, but I can't make my voice do that. Oh, I love it though that you've been you've been attempting a metal scream. That's so nice. It just does not work. I I have to sing the pure notes. Okay. Can't help it. <laughs> it's fine though. Okay. I'm not going to be a famous musician, so it's fine. It does not matter. So cute. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, 
and he was uh, he was talking about um, singing all his songs to the girl who won his heart, who was only three years and old. And then she was only three years old, and I thought that was really cute. Yeah, that's his you daughter. First think when you hear that first part of the line, you think, "Oh, it's his girlfriend." Oh no, it's his daughter, which gives it a very different a different context. It 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 becomes almost sugar sweet in a funny kind of way. And then they go into do up do do do, and it it remains sugar sweet. Yeah, I love it. And okay. that made me think of what you had said about each of them uh, being virtuoso. And it's like okay, get guitar challenge, all right, vocal challenge, kind of thing. Yeah, and Plant was writing the lyrics. Okay, let's go to a solo Robert Plant song. Mm, I can't remember okay. which year this was. It's from the. Oh no! Shall I? Will I lie to you if I say the eighties? It is the eighties. Uh, Robert Plant. Um... Incidentally, did you know that the MythBusters once actually built a lead balloon that could fly? Oh, was the lead very? Um, what's it called? Very it was thin. Lead foil. Yeah, it was lead foil. It was it was incredibly difficult for them to do. It's a fascinating episode. Did it fly as much Probably. as a chicken? It they filled it with helium and it floated up in the air. Cool. Okay. Mm. The song was called Big Love. It's a it's a big party. He's talking about really liking the uh, air hostess and how the 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 belt on his uh, airplane seat is getting narrow because he's getting hard. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's listen to Big Love. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, no, I can't say I'm very impressed by that one. Oh, <laughs> there's no Jimmy Page in it. It's very 80s. Yeah. It's very, very late 80s. I can hear all of the same influences I'm familiar with from growing up in that. It's it's very the the heavy drums and the 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 pressure of the sound. There's no there's no interstices where I can pick up one instrument or over another or anything like that. It's very and the subject matter is just absurd. <laughs> I'm not sure it was a he was into the air hostess though. I think he had another gal who was 20 years, 21 years younger than him. She was just going to, the air hostess was just going to witness his huge love. Um, I guess. I don't, oh my goodness. Yeah. I just, that's, that's sillier than the kind of thing I normally like. That's, that's not my kind of thing. Yeah. Mm, I was, I hesitated between this and some bigger hits like 29 Palms, for example, but I'll play you 29 Palms another time. Um, did, okay. you, did you see how he was complaining about being in the same room as Jimmy Page? I and... saw that. That cracked me up. He was not complaining. He was observing. Yeah. That was not a complaint. It was merely an observation. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he, they but it had was just, funny. And they had just finished remodeling from the 75 tour. I'll tell you why. Because Zeppelin were known to destroy hotel rooms and throw stuff out of the window. Ah! <laughs> That's probably why they had to remodel. Probably. 
Okay. That's not a thing I understand why people would do that. That's just weird. They had the rooms for the bands on one side of the hotel with one view. And they had... It was a particular hotel. I can't remember which American city, but they always went there. And on the other side of the building, they had the rooms for the crew. And they would um, take stuff like TVs from the crew rooms and throw them out of the rooms for the bands. And then people from that street would complain about stuff being thrown. And then hotel staff would come, staff would come into like Jimmy Page's room and see that everything was in it. The TV was still there. So they were confused. But they probably learned it. Why you gotta do that? <laughs> it was stupid. It seems pointless. Yeah. They, they were like little kids doing stupid things. Oh, I must have been high or drunk or something too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I omitted to tell you that Led Zeppelin stopped playing together because their drummer died. John Bonham was found dead after he... Oops. Right, drank a little too much, a lot of drinking. He had the, the well, rock... that would do it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to continue without him. He had the rock star death. He most probably choked on his own uh, vomit. Well, so we checked out Robert Plant being absurd. Mm. Now right. we'll go. We'll go to the late nineties when Page and Plant come together to do a tour and a, uh, a live album, and then they're like. Let's write new songs. And they make an album called Walking into Clarksdale. And there, let's okay. listen to two songs, and that's how we'll end the episode. We'll listen okay. to Heart in Your Hand, my absolute favorite from these people. Let's try to play Heart in Your Hand. That was good. That's right. very different from the previous one, too. He clearly does better work when doing when working with Jimmy Page. Hmm. I should have chosen another solo song. <laughs> he, he is really good, also, I promise. I discovered why we couldn't find it on Spotify. It's no longer available on Spotify. They must not have permissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this is my favorite because I'm into the soft ones. If you ask, usually if you ask me about my favorite song from a hard rock band, I will say a ballad. It's it's a gem, this one. This is one. from the woman who's teaching me about heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, there's something very special about these people making ballads and making songs that are very soft and peaceful. Number one, because it hap- doesn't happen that often. Number two, because they're all very talented. That's true. I guess. That's they, true. They feel like gems. It, it, the rest is a treasure too, but these are like special. Like, what was the name of the stone that Thranduil wanted? The Arkan Stone. Mm. No, if you're going to go like that, these are more like the Silmarils. Okay. But I remember Lee Pei saying the Arkan Stone. Well, yes. You would. <laughs> Yeah. We'll have an episode where I talk about the Silmarillion later yes, when I decide good. to read it again. Very good. Um, and the last song, also from this album, it's called When the World Was Young. Let's play When the World Was Young. I think I'll just keep that song. That's a good song. I like that song. 
But it's also different from the previous one. It's not quite as... It's melancholy, but it's not slow. Mm -hmm. And it picks up a lot of what I think of as um, alternative elements. I don't know how to explain it better than that. Hmm. Alternative, not, not folk, but alternative in what way? I don't have a better way of explaining it than that. It's just something about that especially the bit that begins about two minutes in i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about hmm let's see what happens at two minutes but it 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 intensifies a lot yeah and picks up like a zeppelin song something i don't i don't know how to explain it but they do seem in this one to have gone back to some of the same things that they had done with Zeppelin, where as you move through the song, the 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 genre of it shifts as they move through it. And the whole album is very melancholic. I would play you the whole thing. Like, imagine sitting... But we'd be here all day. Yeah, like sitting here, sitting on the porch in the sun and listening to Walking into Clarksdale. It, all of it is pretty, very pretty. Home of my heart, take me dancing. I love it. And that's it from Page Plant, John Paul Jones and John Bonham. What did you think of Led Zeppelin? Setting aside the fact that not everybody is perfect and clearly Jimmy Page has some things to account for, their music is really, really good. And I did not realize how much of Zeppelin underlay my early life. <laughs> I did not realize how much of it occupies playlists that are now referred to as classic rock. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure that if I listened to every single Zeppelin album, I would know at least half the songs without, in some cases, being aware at all that they were Zeppelin songs. Mm -hmm. That's nice to hear. I'm, I'm glad that they, they were very big. They were huge. And they're still really big in terms of influence. And I have no idea what happened to the oldies tape that my father made for me when I was young. It's probably long gone, and I don't own a tape player anymore. But I know that my exposure to Zeppelin, at a minimum, but also a number of other songs from the late 60s and 70s, the music of my father's childhood, I was exposed to it there, and I probably identified more closely with that music when when I was a child as opposed to when I was a teenager, which was different. Simply because that's what was played. That was what was played in the house. And I don't really recall paying that much attention to the radio as we were driving around town. I can remember the car we were driving, but I have very little memory of the music. But I remember being able to sing quite young songs like Chantilly Lace. I don't know, don't know that one. There'll be we'll we'll do an episode where I introduce you to some of that. I think I might talk to my dad about some of these things on Wednesday when I see him again. Mm -hmm. I see if he remembers Uriah Heep from the same time as Sabbath and Zeppelin, early seventies. I don't know. I wonder what he did with all his records. We'll probably end up breaking into the boxes of his vinyls if we get into this conversation, which would be enormously entertaining. I don't think he's unpacked those boxes in twenty years. Wonderful. That would be great. Okay. Well, 
I'm glad you liked these things that we listened to. And tell me uh, what the kiddies are doing. Jana is up in the kitta hutch with one set of toes sticking out. I don't know why she... Oh, she just stretched them at me. Toe stretches. I don't know why she does that. She's still small enough to fit into the whole thing. All of her. But she likes to sleep with one foot sticking out of it. <laughs> Last night, all four of them, except Stormlight, decided to try to come in and tuck us into bed. And that worked great for about five minutes. And then Marari, who doesn't normally like to get on the bed, was driven off of the bed because Kronos reached out and smacked her. Oh. And he's not, and it wasn't like, you know, a playful kind of pat. Like, he reached out and whapped her, and there was some serious hissing. Mm. And now I think I understand why Marari does not like to be on the bed. Because Kronos is there. Because Kronos has decided to be an obnoxious little brat and will Mm. not permit it. (laughs) And while it's true that of the five of them, Kronos is, he's not as shy or people resistant as Stormlight. But he is a one cat, a one human cat. And his human is my husband. It's not me. I'm really only allowed to touch Kronos when he's tucking us into bed. When Mm -hmm. he comes to curl up. And so I hesitate to to punish him too strictly for for smacking Marari. Who is the sort of kitty who likes to hang out where the humans are. I think she's probably downstairs with the husband now. But at the same time, that kind of bullying behavior is unacceptable amongst our cats. Yeah. Jana has been... Actually, Jana and Kronos both have been bullying Marari a lot lately, which is unacceptable, and I'm going to have to put cans of air in every room in the house. Incidentally, the best trick I've ever found for disciplining cats is not a water bottle, but a can of the sort of air that you use to clean out electronics. Compressed air. It's much less likely to damage anything because you're not leaving little water droplets around. And there are such things as cats who like water. Um, (laughs) Turkish van cats are known for this. Ragdolls is pretty common. And, but none of them like to be sprayed, especially in the face, with a sudden blast from an air can. <laughs> Not least because the sound it makes sounds like a hiss. Mm. Jana has got to the point where all I have to do is show her the can. And she will stop doing whatever it is she's doing and run away. Not far, but enough. And that's all I want. I want her to stop doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got curious about what you can use to, to correct her behavior. Without being cruel. The can of air is what I've found to be the best thing. I mean, if you don't have a can of air handy, a quick pop on the butt, the same way that you might pop a small child, it works the same way. I mean, that's about their level of intelligence is about a two or three year old. (laughs) But it does not work if you wait. Like small children, they do not associate discipline later with a previous misbehavior. You must discipline them immediately. For mm-hmm. them to have the correct associations. Mm-hmm. And it's not its not going to be perfect. They're not human. They do not learn the way that people learn. Yeah. But you can do pretty well if you catch them at the time. Mm-hmm. So they understand that it's a consequence of the thing that they just did. Okay. You want to tell me about some book that you're reading? Well, I've spent... A significant chunk of the early part of the week flailing around trying to decide what to read. Mm. 
I couldn't seem to make myself commit to any given book. And finally, I settled down and I went, you've been hovering back and forth over rereading the Honor Harrington series, so let's just sit down and do it, especially since you've decided to participate in that fandom again. So, uh, the Honor Harrington series is by David Weber. He is a fairly prolific author. This is... It's the longest-running series he has, and it's split off into, I think at this point, three or maybe four spin-offs that still connect fairly closely back to the main story, as well as two sets of prequels. But he's also written a much more fantasy-oriented uh, quartet that he keeps telling us he's going to go back and finish, and then doesn't. And a series that at the moment is stopped at 10 that is difficult to describe honestly but the honor harrington series is pretty much your quintessential classic military sci-fi it's it's much much more militaristic than star trek for example although some similar themes can be found and it follows the exploits of the Manticoran Navy officer Honor Harrington and her tree cat, a six-limbed cat-like creature that she is empathically bonded with Mm. from her home world. Oh, I love this. Nimitz is a smartass. His nickname is Stinker for good reason. His tree cat name is Laughs Brightly which is really quite good for Honor because she is a character who can be too serious at times. And it's good for her to have someone around who is willing to make fun of her and make her laugh. (laughs) And a significant chunk of the early part of the plot, the first mm, six or seven books or so, revolves around a growing war with a neighboring star polity known as the People's Republic of Haven. And in many ways, the first seven or eight books of the Honor Harrington series are a rerun of, or a combination of Horatio Hornblower, Mm. the French Revolution, and the Cold War in space. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Weber, to a certain extent, goes out of his way to liken... Uh, the People's Republic of Haven to the aftermath of the French Revolution, including having characters named Oscar Saint-Just and an important meeting occurring in a tennis court. (laughs) But it's also a pretty interesting look at his perspective on the idea of a basic living stipend Hmm. and where socialism... And certain forms of communism can go if they're handled badly. It is absolutely accurate to say that he does not shy from allowing his politics to be in the mouths of his characters. But he's not known for political filibusters in his books the way Heinlein, for example, is. Tell me what a filibuster is. Uh, I don't know where the word comes from. But basically what it means is a very long-winded speech. It's most familiar to Americans as used in politics where a politician 
will stand up in Congress and just talk and talk and talk for hours in an attempt to prevent something from coming to a vote. Oh, and wow. And this is not typically looked on with kindness. Wow. So there's a they have a minimum, not a minimum wage, but a minimum stipend, so you, you don't have to work to survive? Right. Okay. The Star Polity, which is the home of our main character, is the Star Kingdom of Manticore. Uh, and it is a parliamentary kingdom, mm-hmm. where currently ruled by a queen. Uh, one of the things I actually quite very much enjoy about Weber's writing is that he it's probably fair to say that if you know how to look at it he was doing woke in his books before woke was a term (laughs) the star kingdom of manticore is ruled by the house of winton who are black Mm -hmm. this is referred to one or two times in in the books in describing certain characters and in what they look like And generally is not relevant beyond that, except under one very specific circumstance where uh, it turns out that the real enemy that the human race is facing is a group of folk referred to as the Mason Alignment who manipulate genetics in a very... It's very reminiscent of uh, Khan from Star Trek. Oh. A desire to improve the human race by manipulating genetics, you know, breeding smart people and, and so forth. But what they also do to make money is they uh, breed and sell genetic slaves. And that means exactly what you think it means. They breed people to undertake specific tasks or with specific skills or levels of ability or physical characteristics, and they sell them as slaves. And there is a scene in one of the later books where an escaped genetic slave goes on a tirade to some folk who don't want to believe that genetic slavery is actually a problem or a threat and reminds them rather pointedly that there was a time in human history when their queen would have been considered lesser simply by the color of her skin. Mm -hmm. It's the only time in the entire series Weber ever really touches on that, and he does so in a way that makes perfect sense within the context of the story. Mm -hmm. And most of the characters confronted with this speech are extremely confused because they've grown up in a world space where that's not relevant, and this is their queen. <laughs> and for all that they don't always agree with her, she's their queen. It's 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 a reverence similar to I think what many Britons would feel, especially for Elizabeth. Yeah. Okay. So but he that did doesn't that come in until well. considerably later. I've only gotten back to the second book now, and we're we're in a, a stage of the story that is much more reminiscent of the Cold War. Our two major polities are effectively waging war by proxy, mm-hmm. with uh, two fairly hyper-religious small star polities. And it's very interesting because he does spend quite a bit of time focusing on sexism 
in this particular book because the cat's paw kingdoms, or they're not kingdoms, but the cat's paw polities are both very religious and very much and very clearly derived from evangelistic patriarchal Christianity. Oof. Yep. And the group which is going to wind up on the side of our heroes is a bit less so. But our hero, our lead character is a heroine, is a woman mm -hmm. in the military. Mm -hmm. And they have some pretty significant trouble accepting this. And there's a, a scene about halfway through the book where one of the characters from Grayson, the religious polity, sits down with the ambassador and has a fairly frank discussion of what he thinks is the root of the problem. And it's pretty interesting to think about even in the context of modern sexism because there is a branch of of modern sexism modern patriarchalism that was not how that <laughs> word is supposed to be said but you know what i mean mm -hmm. that persists in asserting that men should dominate women because women need to be protected from whom? It's from not misbehaving men. From everything. <laughs> from everything. Yeah. Yeah. The, the strand is not, oh, they should be protected from men. It's they should be protected from everything. It's, it's you know, that it's not, oh, math is too difficult. It's they shouldn't be stressed. It's we have to protect them because women bear the babies and without them we don't carry on kind of thing. And looked at from one angle it's very it's 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 a survival of the species kind of thing if you look at it from one direction which is the direction that grayson honestly initially approached it from they ended up on a planet that was it looked pretty uh but it was inimical to human life in a way that caused a lot of birth defects and so the when they originally came there and settled it honestly became necessary in in a literal survival sense to protect the women but over time protection became more and more and more it became less about you know can't let the women go outside because the babies they're carrying will be mutated and can't let the women go outside because they're women <laughs> and that's a theme that is somewhat carried out through the entirety of the series is watching these different cultures, which are fairly distinct, grow and change, but not necessarily become alike. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty difficult thing to do as a storyteller. Do you think he's good at writing a woman? Because it's, it's notorious how a lot of male authors are not that good at writing a, a real human woman when they decide for their main character to be female. I do, actually. I think that over his time writing, he has improved. But one of the things that often comes up when there's this discussion about men writing women or women writing men that I find odd is this idea that there is a consistent and persistent difference that goes much deeper than what I normally observe. 
A consistent difference between genders, you mean, that needs to be expressed. Yeah, in the way that they think, in the way that they react to things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, in my observations of people, I have not normally found this to be true. Mm -hmm. I There are absolutely some things that are consistently different between the genders, and yet my experience has been that those things are as often derived from the culture they're surrounded with as from anything inherent to the gender itself. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that Weber does an excellent job of writing a woman who grew up in a culture where her femininity was irrelevant to what she could do with her future. Mm -hmm. It's true that he makes what I think of as a sort of classic mistake in writing a woman where in her youth she was uh, threatened by a man, she was almost raped, and yet he does not make the follow-on mistake of having her then be against all men. She's just against that one guy. Mm -hmm. And he was not able to rape her because she was able to fight him off because mm -hmm. she was skilled in a martial art and she was able to kick his ass up between his ears. Mm -hmm. And so, again, while he makes the single classic mistake of, of putting his female character in a position where she was almost raped, he doesn't make any of the other corollary mistakes. She mm -hmm. doesn't become a man-hater. She doesn't get saved by someone else. She saves herself. And she saves herself... Not by whining or anything like that, but by literally punching the dude in the balls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's again true that he chooses to write her as not thinking of herself as particularly attractive. Particularly to men, and she is a, a heterosexual person. Mm -hmm. But he also describes the world space in such a way that that makes sense. He tells you that, for example, the medical technology that this culture uses to lengthen life, which is plainly called prolong, tends to have an effect where it extends the awkward phases of puberty. And uh, even men in our modern culture will tell you that you know, we have the phrase, even in our modern culture, of glow up, <laughs> where where you come from being sort of awkward and gangly and not terribly attractive and sort of unfinished in your teenage years, and then you get to the end of that, and suddenly you've become attractive. Mm -hmm. And there are absolutely people who experience a glow up and don't recognize it. Oh. They don't see the same things. And that's that's exactly what's happened to Honor is that, that she very much experienced a glow up and the book makes it quite plain that she will never be perceived as pretty, but that she has that characteristic that I see in, say, Kate Blanchett, where the, the, uh, the enlivenment of her features by her personality and the way that she carries herself makes her beautiful. Ah, Mirari has fetched me a string. No. It is time to reward the kiddies. She has fetched me a string. She came down the hall and announced her kill. Are you going to get into the loaf pan? She has gotten into her loaf pan. 
<laughs> and now I will give her treats. Yes. Jonna will get treats because she is present. Yes. Good girls. Stand up, Marari. Good girl. Yes, she will stand up for her treats. <laughs> Jana? Oh, good. Soft paws. Oh, Jana threw a treat at me. <laughs> it's right here, silly. <laughs> no, you only get two. Marari is looking at me and telling me she deserves more. No, you only get two. <laughs> you only get two. Yes, thank you for kisses. So, yeah. So that sounds like something I'm, I might want to read, because I'm not that much into battles and uh, generals and uh, ships. There are certainly a lot of space battles. That is a significant part of the story, but it is interwoven with politics, and it is interwoven with, call it philosophy, call it social philosophy. Very but there cool. are definitely space battles, and uh, the... The qualities of leadership are examined through these space battles. Mm -hmm. And there's a there's a good deal of... Uh, I'm going to take five pages and explain this technology to you. <laughs> Which, if you've read the book six or eight times, can be kind of boring. Mm -hmm. you not everybody skip. is that interested in... But I find them to be interesting reading... And he is absolutely one of the premier military sci-fi writers out there. Does he have a background in the army? I don't know. I don't remember. Let's go find out. And I've met him. He's a very nice guy mm -hmm. as well. Because some people are just enthusiasts without having been in the army. They learn a lot just by reading yeah. and talking to experienced people. It is not mentioned in his Wikipedia biography that he was ever in the military. Mm -hmm. uh, but he does know... Uh, ah, here it is. A lifetime military history buff. So, yeah. Uh -huh. in, in many ways, what he's doing here is, is he's writing what he knows. He's writing what he loves. Mm -hmm. For folk who are not interested in military sci-fi, I do recommend his War God series. Uh, it addresses uh, some similar concerns, but in a fantasy setting. And there are gods. And although it is war gods, although it is considerably shorter, there's not nearly as much to read there, which is sad. It is equally good, and he handles his female characters equally well. Okay. All right. Thank you. Very good kitty news. I should read more. I gotta finish Rob Halford's book. The fan group for Honor Harrington that I've been participating in is having a reading challenge from July through September. So I'm actually paying attention to how much I'm reading. And um, it uh, I average about five hours per book of the ones I read. And I average two or three hours a day reading. Sometimes more, depending on what the day is. You know, weekends I get a little more... You finish a book in five hours? One of one of those books? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you read, re you read really fast. You like you can just scan... I do read quite quickly. Yeah. That I is the superpower. Which is probably why it's actually good that this isn't predicated on how many, on how many books you read. The way that uh, an experience I had in high school was. 
Uh, I don't know if you had this experience, but many Americans will have had the experience of their high school teachers, uh, sometimes middle school, doing various things to encourage kids to read more. Um, And my freshman English class, one of the things we were required to do every six weeks was turn in a list of what we had read. And there were, you know, guidelines for reading newspapers and magazines and such. And the internet wasn't really a thing, so that was irrelevant. And ebooks didn't exist, so that didn't matter. And uh, the first time I turned mine in, I had to staple a sheet of college-ruled paper to the back of the form she'd given us <laughs> to contain all of the titles I'd read. Uh, college-ruled paper is narrower. Uh, the, the rules are closer together, so it can contain more information. And after the second time I did that, she told me I didn't have to turn it in anymore. <laughs> this yeah. did not endear me to my classmates, unfortunately. Well, yeah, that's... I was going to say that's their problem, but they probably made it your problem. That's a different discussion. Yeah. That's a different discussion is what that is. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. And uh, I'll see you in episode three, where I think we'll do Uriah Heep. Yay! Hey, July morning. And now, remember, everybody, to grow your hair as long as you can, listen to as much metal music as possible, and I don't know. What else should they do, Laura? They should uh, go eat something and uh, drink some water, and if they're on yes, meds, any sort of meds. Yeah, if you're on any sort of meds, you should also take your meds. So, grow your hair as long as possible, listen to as much heavy metal music as you can, and self-care is important. Yes. Uh, Thank you for listening to Meowcore. Bye-bye.